<laughs> okay, now we can start. Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. If you build it, they will come. Joel, seen that movie? He's in the movie, Joe. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. In our 670 of the score studios, Jordan Malley. Shout out to Jordan Malley. Did Matt Peck get a signed copy of that book? No, Matt Peck, he didn't know. No. No. Talk to D. Rose. Yeah, guys, he's going to make it happen. Matt, you will be getting your book soon. (laughs) Kick back and get ready for the best hour of your day. Are players buying in, Jim? I, yes. Fair enough. And so all I was saying on this podcast, the Locked on Bulls podcast. Locked on Bulls, five days a week. Locked on Bulls starts now. You can just see the vibe. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jordan Malley, along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369. Place to drop all your texts, all of your voicemails, anything pressing you want to talk about with this Bulls team this week, make sure you hit us up there or on Twitter. Matt, welcome back from the weekend. I want to first say I apologize for you having to spend your Sunday, beautiful Sunday afternoon, sitting in NBC Studios watching that god-awful Bulls game. I was at the score yesterday, so felt kind of in a similar position, but it was a beautiful day in Chicago, and we spent most of our afternoon watching the Bulls and the Nets piss-away game back and forth, back and forth for 48 minutes. But how are you? How you doing? What's up, Jordan? What's up, Bulls Nation? Yeah, that was uh, not how I would have chosen to spend my Sunday, unfortunately. (laughs) My walk to and from the blue line uh, to get down to NBC Studios yesterday afternoon, I just walked past dozens of restaurants and bars that, uh, you know, put their their outdoor patio setups back out for such a beautiful Sunday because when Chicagoans have an available afternoon, regardless of the month of the calendar year, where you can eat and drink outside, um, due to nice weather, you better believe that Chicagoans will seize that opportunity. And it was like torture um, on my way to and from the studio to see all these Chicagoans out there enjoying a beautiful Sunday afternoon. And that, I mean, it was like, I mean, come on. We need more evidence of the Bulls uh, being incompetent and unable to beat even the bad playoff bound teams in the Eastern Conference. Like, you know, the Bulls made it close with a little run there late at the end, and, and, and Kobe White had a three that would have tied it that went, you know, halfway down and it bounced out. It's unfortunate. But, I mean, once again, you know, it's just predictable. The Bulls are 0-21 against Eastern Conference playoff-bound teams. It's a joke. And it's seen that's coming off just firing their head coach, too, or whatever you want to call it, mutually parting ways. That, to me, seemed like, okay, this is a perfect opportunity for the Bulls to pick up a win. But the thing that blows my mind, if the people that are listening to this right now actually watched the game yesterday, the Nets had 29 turnovers. 29 turnovers. How do you... 20 of those turnovers came in, like, the first 26 minutes of the game, 28 minutes of the game. I'm pretty sure the Bulls had more turnovers than they did have scoring points off of those turnovers yesterday. It seemed to me like a lot of these guys have just completely checked out, that a lot of these guys are just doing their own thing out there, whether it's scoring. And you can see Denzel Valentine, man, over the last couple of games, anytime he has a chance to be on the floor, he's grabbing the ball and doing whatever he wants, whatever's going to be best for Denzel. 
which is uh, kind Wait, of did telling. You, uh, did you see his quotes about boiling from that Joe <laughs> Cowley piece the other day? Yes. Uh, not not too thrilled with what Jim Boylan is doing with this team, and it doesn't sound like he's his our teammates coach for are. Now it is what it is. Is what he said. <laughs> If I can endure the last minute, the last time out, and coach my team, I think the other team can too. A little adversity, a little tough time, a little uncomfortableness. But yeah, the the fact that that was going on, and not even just this Nets game, but the game previous to that too, you saw Denzel Valentine basically piss away the game because he decided to take a bunch of shots that were that were terrible, terrible looks in like three or four minute stretch in the fourth quarter. Uh, but circling back to the Nets really quick, how about Lowry Markinen too, man? I mean, he started off really good in that first quarter and then he disappeared. I don't think he took a single shot in the second or the third quarter. I mean, I, I don't have any explanation anymore with what's going on with him and I don't expect any improvement this season. I think this is just a complete waste of a season for, for Markinen. I don't see how you build your confidence back up in what? The Bulls have, I think, 13 games left or 14 games left. I just, I feel like this is a lost season for Markinen. It, it completely is. I mean, it, it's a wash. It is, instead of what we hoped to see, which was a, a young player in their third NBA season taking a big step towards being an all-star caliber player, whether or not he got the all-star nod, we thought we can see Lowry make a jump to averaging 20 and 10. And that is an all-star caliber player if you're regularly putting up those numbers. And based on his numbers last season, that didn't seem like such a wild jump to make. And unfortunately, what we saw was regression, partly due to nagging injuries, very much so partly due to Jim Boylan's offensive system that made Lowry a spot-up shooting afterthought. I mean, you mentioned Denzel a second ago and, and the chucking he was doing in their games on Friday and Sunday. And... We're glad to see Denzel back on, you know, on the court in the rotation out of Jim Boylan's doghouse after whatever it was uh, that had him buried uh, because for a team that has been struggling to knock down their threes all season, he certainly seemed like a useful piece for Jim Boylan's offense. But in no universe should Denzel Valentine have more shots than Lowry Markkinen. And that's what happened yesterday afternoon. Denzel Valentine took 10 shots. Lowry took eight. Denzel was one of a number of players who had more shots than Lowry in yesterday's game. Shaq Harrison had more shot attempts. Thad Young had more shot attempts. Otto Porter Jr. had more shot attempts. Kobe White had more shot attempts. Of all of those players I just rattled off, who's the one right now who you could say, I'm okay with that player having more shots than Lowry? Probably Kobe, right? Because he's our rookie who's been playing so well and actually making some strides in the back end of a rookie season that's been kind of tough for him. He clearly hit the rookie wall a while ago. He's bounced back from that. He's getting more minutes. He's getting more opportunity. But he's the only one on that list you could say, I'm okay with this player taking more shots than Lowry. If Lowry is supposed to be one of these cornerstone pieces of a rebuild, it's just entirely frustrating. You know, to your point there about Kobe White really fast, I thought it was interesting too because I've heard this brought up now four times in the last week. First was when you were talking with Cowley specifically about Zach Levine and Kobe White being frustrated with the fact that they're being taught in this system to either drive to the basket, get a bucket two to four feet to the basket, or take a three. And it seems like Kobe White and Zach Levine feel as if 
part of their game is now missing with not being able to take those mid-range jumpers. It seems like Kobe White has now gone back to that and he's seeing and finding a lot of success. See a lot of like two, three step moves and a step back and a beautiful silky jumper from Kobe White. Seems like it's helping him build confidence too. Now, he's, Cowley said it, I heard Bill Wennington on Friday talk about it for about three or four minutes and saying, I don't know why it took this long to realize that Kobe White should be implementing that that mid-range jumper back into his game. Talked about a lot to the conversation you and I had over the summer, you know, about talking about CJ McCollum coming out and saying, you know, getting to the playoffs is a whole different beast. And if you eliminate part of your game, like the mid-range jumper, I mean, you're going to get torched. Look at what happened to the Bucks. Look at what happened to the Trailblazers when they went away from that. So I think circling back, this conversation is starting to become more prevalent with teams that are struggling. And I even heard Richard Jefferson talk about it, too, on one of the national games and saying that uh, the idea that nobody wants to take a mid-range shot or that it's a bad idea to take a mid-range shot is just mind-blowing to him. But for two guys on our team that are scores, are legit scores first, Kobe White and Zach Levine, to say that, yeah, it's frustrating that the mid-range game is gone. And now we see Kobe White having success with it. I mean, you've got to... And it seems like he's just going with what he feels like he's comfortable now, not exactly doing what Jim Boylan needs him or wants him to do at all times, three point line or at the bucket. So yeah. I can say that's and maybe, it, you know, a- it's, it's not just um, speculation as to why that wasn't a part of Kobe's game earlier this season when it was something so effective for him at UNC, because go back a few months ago and there is a direct quote from Kobe himself talking about how when he got to, uh, you know, training camp and the Bulls were starting their practices and installing the system. Th- they told him, and he said this, you can go back and find the quote from Kobe himself. That's a bad shot. Don't take that shot. The Bulls coaching staff told him to eliminate that part of his game. And now, thankfully, it's come back. And what we don't know yet is, is Kobe ignoring those instructions and saying, dude, this is my game. You drafted me because of what I can do and what I showed in my game at the college level. Let me play my game. Or if Boylan has actually eased up on that. But either way, whatever the answer is to that question, we know that originally it very much was Boylan and his staff telling Kobe not to take those shots because Kobe said so. The crazy thing, too, is now we're we're not just seeing it from Levine. We're not just seeing it from Kobe White, but... Wendell seems to like he's trying to branch out a little bit, and knock down some mid-range jumpers as well as where he didn't feel as comfortable before. And he's another one, too, I want to talk about really fast. It's the same story we've talked about last year, Matt, and I don't know how he gets over this hump, but it's a combination of I feel like Carter at times is undersized when he's down low and trying to have to play defense on two, three guys at a time, make up for some misses. But also at the same time, man, he still gets called for the most ridiculous fouls ever. And it seems like I think Carter had three fouls yesterday, like midway through the second quarter. And you could tell he was taken out of the game and visibly frustrated. And this wasn't just Carter yesterday. Gafford fouled out with with six fouls with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. And he was pissed on the bench too yesterday. So I don't I don't know what you do with these big guys that have problems staying in the game staying out of foul trouble. And especially with Carter, this has been just a continuous thing with him we've seen now for two seasons. And I'm not saying that it's his fault either because a lot of those calls he's getting called, I think, are unfair. 
Yeah, I think so. I think it's a variety of factors. I think Wendell last year and into this year has maybe gotten the short end of the stick from NBA officials. And certainly the same thing appears to be happening with Gafford this season. I mean, last uh, yesterday's game was just a, a recent example of Gafford fouling out despite only playing a modest amount of minutes. He fouled out in 17 minutes last night. And, and we've seen similar games like that where he just gets, you know, a lot of foul trouble and not a lot of minutes. And yes, some of that, again, is like Wendell, a young player not getting the benefit of the doubt from NBA refs and, and players being savvy enough to attack uh, th- those young bigs who don't get those calls. However, there's also the problem of Jim Boylan's defensive system. Because when you have a competent offense, then all you like it, it there, there are, and I think, um, you know, our, our friend Jason Pat of uh, Cash Considerations was talking about this the other day where it's like it's, it's, it's gotten to the point where it's so predictable that the Bulls defense results in one of two things a takeaway or a wide open shot, you know, a dunk. And how many times did we collectively see Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan dunk yesterday? It felt like a million freaking times or a wide open shot because that's what this defense is. It's a gimmicky defense. And if you don't get the takeaway, you give up a wide open shot and a competent defense who moves the ball out of that trap, your bigs, are either committing fouls because you're asking them to guard out at the perimeter or they're getting fouls because they're trying to come over and help at the last second while a guy is dunking on you. That's what Jim Boylan's defense does. So that is so to blame, in my in my opinion, for Wendell and now Gafford dealing with these foul trouble issues. And it's another, like, it, it's a perfect example to me of why them trying to hang their hats on defense this season and, well, hey, at least our defense was solid before Wendell and, and Chris Dunn got hurt. It's utter bullshit because you mentioned the turnover numbers for, for Brooklyn yesterday, just a couple moments ago, Jordan. The Brooklyn Nets turned the ball over 29 times. If the defense is about creating those turnovers and turning them into transition points, and that's how you want your team to win, and you get your defense 29 takeaways as opposed to the Bulls only turning the ball over six times themselves, and you still lose that game? then what the fuck is the point of that defense? It's a good question. Because a lot of those steals are supposed to help you force transition offense. It should be easy buckets. And the way that the Bulls were playing, too, especially that first quarter yesterday, they, they forced nine Brooklyn Nets turnovers in that first quarter, which is great. But again, it goes back to the how many points do the Bulls score off of turnovers? The Bulls, the Bulls scored 10 points off of 29 turnovers. 10 points. Off of 29 turnovers. It's fucking ridiculous. Ridiculous. (laughs) The Bulls had seven turnovers. So they were good with keeping the ball under control when they were on offense. They only had seven turnovers to Brooklyn's 29. The Bulls had 26 more shots than Brooklyn yesterday. Think about that. 26 more shots. And Brooklyn wins. How do you do that? I get it. Part yeah. of it, too, is going to the to the free throw line. The Bulls got screwed at the end. Partly their fault, but and some of the calls uh, were very questionable. And again, we were just talking about this off mic before we started recording. Is that third and fourth quarter was questionable by the refs, man. Like every half court set, there was a foul, whether it was on Brooklyn or it was on the Bulls. The Bulls, I think, ended finished that fourth quarter 
the Nets had shot 18 free throws and the Bulls had only shot in six. So that was a part of the other problem back at the end of the, the, the end of the fourth quarter. The last thing I'll say on this with in terms of the defense, I do like the fact that the Bulls have forced a lot of turnovers. I think they've got a lot of guys that are really, really good at that. You see Sadoransky very good at that. See Harrison very good at that. Uh, Zach Levine has become a lot better at getting his hands in passing lanes this year. The one thing I do not like is this is emphasized, and it only works if you have bigs who can come out and step out and guard at the perimeter. I don't think Wendell is good enough to do that yet. It's not saying he's a bad defender. I just don't think he's... He, you can see he's frustrated by having to do that at times. Daniel Gafford is no, nowhere near being able to do that consistently. So like you said, if you don't have guys like Thad Young, you don't have other stretch wings that can kind of step out if you're playing a smaller lineup, you're getting screwed when teams are playing you right and being able to rotate and move the ball. Because then you've got two guys in the corners either open, you've got a guy wide open being able to drive to the basket with an easy lane. All of this is a negative to what Jim Boylan's defense is. I just highlighted a lot of the positives, too. The Bulls are like top five in takeaways. They were a top 10 defense at one point this season. But there's the downfalls, and we're really seeing the massive holes when guys don't play their system right. And I don't know, like you said, I still don't know if this is a faulty defense or not because we haven't had a full team to see that or not. If it actually works with our starters, our regular guys. Well, I mean, we had nine games of it to start the season before Otto went down, and we were three and six in those nine games. And yeah, there wasn't a great option backing up Otto at the wing, which we've talked about ad nauseum. But even still, other than that, you had a mostly healthy roster for the first half of the season before the other injuries hit to guys like Wendell and Lowry and whomever to leave Zach Levine high and dry. But you, you you had a full half of a season with a mostly mostly healthy roster. And regardless of what the defensive ratings say, what what the fuck was your record? And, and then tell me again how great your defensive system is. It's a good point. It's a really good point. Uh, to not harp on this game too much, although it was very bizarre towards the end, I listened to Kobe White after the game, and it was kind of cool to hear him talk about the fact that this was a good opportunity a good learning lesson for him having the opportunity to take the game tying shot in a clutch situation this is the type of thing I if there's anything we can take away from these last games if the Bulls are in situations like this having guys you're hoping to grow into that position take these type of shots win or lose don't care Kobe had the hot hand hand towards the end and I'm glad he got that shot and damn dude that ball almost went in too it was damn near three quarters in that hoop and it popped out things like that I want to see with the rest of these games everything else I don't give a shit about give me the guys that are going to be here long term that I know are going to be here long term like Kobe like Wendell beyond that I don't know give those guys those opportunities the last thing I want, I want to end it on a funny note, Matt. Listen to this. We've got we got a return of one of our friends from the, one of our friends from the tank last year is now on the Nets. I didn't even know this guy was still in the NBA, but listen to Bill Winnington after one of this guy's turnovers. And here come the Nets with Levert over the midcourt line. A cut to the brown, oh. and Lamabu Cabro <laughs> threw it away. He goes out of bounds. That's also going to be a charge. He had a no look pass. <laughs> I, I would love to. I would love to show everyone that was horrendous. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was nowhere near anyone. 
<laughs> Best friend TLC playing for the Nets. TLC, Nets's, baby. Still doing terrible, dumb shit like he did last year with the Bulls. Don't, oh, man. Don't go chasing fast breaks. <laughs> so the Bulls lose in Brooklyn. Kind of, kind of had a feeling that was going to happen. Again, what is it? The Bulls have two wins against teams over 500, and you can't even really count those two wins. Kristaps Porzingis didn't play in the Mavericks game, and Kawhi Leonard didn't play on top of uh, Pat Beverly, and I'm pretty sure Montrezl Harrell didn't play in that game either. No, it was Lou Williams. Lou Williams. The third who didn't play in that game. So you got wins over teams without their full lineups as well. So those two wins, you can put a little asterisk next to that. And, and you have not beaten any. Top eight team in the East. You That's are 0 21 against playoff bound teams in the East. That what is so joke. fucking ridiculous. Oh, oh man. and last thought on Brooklyn uh, game. Speaking of former Bulls, you mentioned TLC, and you also just mentioned the free throw disparity uh, a few minutes ago. You know who went 14 of 15 from the free throw line in this game? Who's that? Spencer Dinwiddie, baby. <laughs> he was For killing. High 24 points. He was killing it, and he had that throwdown dunk too. I don't remember if it was in the second or the third quarter, which just stared Jim Boylan oh, that was down. Filthy. <laughs> oh, how about this too? I forgot this even happened during this game. So much crazy shit happened in that fourth quarter. Uh, Jim Boy, what did you think, real quick, on Jim Boylan's decision to try to play hack a Jordan? And DeAndre Jordan just immediately when they fouled him, he knocks both of the free throws down the stairs and points at Jim Boylan after it. They tried this twice, and DeAndre Jordan ended up hitting three out of the four field goals. I don't hate the decision by Jim Boylan to try it. I mean, what else are you going to do? The defense wasn't working. You're forcing turnovers, but couldn't, couldn't hit a shot. So I didn't hate it, but I just thought it was funny. DeAndre Jordan knocked down both free throws and then pointed at Jim Boylan at the end. I mean, I, I think it's just funny that it that it backfired and blew up in his face. Like Jim Boylan can't do anything right. And that was a, a, just a hilarious example because, you know, I, I'm with you. Like if if it's a strategy that has proven to work before, and and big name coaches who are successful coaches in this league have used that strategy to their advantage. You can't make fun of Jim Boylan for trying it. You can make fun of Jim Boylan when it backfires and the player he decides to hack a, you know, hack a Jordan knocks down the free throws. It's just funny because that's the season it's been for Jim Boylan. There's a lot he, of bang I mean, going on. I want to I want to touch on one other thing in this podcast, Matt, but before we do that, I want to talk about one of our sponsors for today's show. That is Indeed. When you're starting your hiring process, you may have questions. Will you find good applicants to choose from? What about education and experience? And how will you know you've made the right hire? Indeed is here to help. Millions of great candidates use Indeed every day to find their next opportunity. You can post a job in minutes and use screener questions to help you create short lists of applicants fast. Also, add skills tests to your job posts so you can be confident in your applicant's abilities. Their library of more than 50 skill tests ranges from industry-specific skills like accounting to general aptitude tests like critical thinking. Indeed gives you the smart tools to make hiring decisions quickly and to be confident that you're making the right hire for your team. Post your job today at Indeed.com slash locked on and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting. That's Indeed.com slash locked on. One more time, that's Indeed.com slash locked on. Terms and conditions and exclusions apply offer valid through March 31st 2020 so Matt let's uh let's talk about the drama that happened even before both of these games this weekend on Friday and on Sunday the story comes out about 
Jim Boylan's falling out with Doug Collins or a quote-unquote falling out. Uh, we heard a bunch from Kali in your interview with him on Thursday. Uh, had a lot of follow-up to that on Friday. It seems like everybody that's still kind of hanging around paying attention to Bulls Nation um, used this as one final, like, are you fucking kidding me? Another storyline about this. Uh, but we did get a response from Jim Boylan. But before, before we talk about that, let's talk about like this falling out between Boylan and Collins. Do you believe it 100% that there was a type of falling out? Do you think it was exaggerated at all by everybody on Twitter, all Bulls fans? Uh, or do you think it's somewhere in the middle? I 100% believe what was reported. And why do I 100% believe it? Look at the source. Casey Johnson, who is a friend of this podcast, um, is a guy who... Look, some Bulls fans have an issue with Casey because they view him as a Bulls front office apologist because of the way that he chooses not to go after them, the way that some in the media go after them. But whether or not you believe that, what you cannot deny is that Casey Johnson, for the 30 freaking years he has covered this team, has been about one thing, and that is reporting facts. Not speculation, not gotcha journalism, facts. That is what Casey Johnson does. And the fact that Casey Johnson is the person who said this makes me believe 100% that it is true. To that, I will add that I have heard through my channels that not only is this a, a thing that I believe because Casey reported it, but I've heard that he went to the trouble of triple sourcing this information, meaning he got confirmation from three different sources that this falling out between Jim Boylan and and, and uh, Doug Collins happened. Triple checked, verified, triple sourced information from a guy who only reports facts. So the fact that that is what kicked this story off And then Jim Boylan responded by saying, well, I don't know how that got reported while Casey Johnson is standing right there in the media scrum when somebody else asks him about this is laughable to me because clearly what's happening here is a reporter who reports facts reported a fact. The coach who is embarrassed by this fact denies it and just lies to a media scrum with that very reporter in that media scrum. It is the latest example of Jim Boylan being a fucking joke. You're you're right. I'm with you, man. I mean, talk about one of the most respected sports journalists in our city. It's got to be Casey. I think we po- we both we've we've had Casey on it probably half a dozen, if not more, times on this show. It it blows my mind too that they would go to these lengths, especially Jim Boylan, and just some of the things that I'm hearing. This lengths to just kind of do a complete 180 on this story and. It's like if it had come from a blog or come from somebody that doesn't have inside knowledge, then it'd be like, all right, that's just pure speculation. But like you had said, Casey is one of the most respected journalists that we have here in sports. He's been covering this team forever and his coverage this year has been awesome for this Bulls team has been so good. Him, Darnell, Cowley, everybody that's been on the Bulls beat this year. I'm with you. I think I agree with this, too. And I know Boylan's not going to come out and publicly say it. I know that that Doug Collins isn't going to come out and say anything. I know anybody in this Bulls team isn't going to say anything about it. But clearly, there's there's some issues and problems going on. 
And I'll be honest with you, though, I uh, I agree with our buddy Mark Karanzolis's tweet from I think it was Friday. He said if there's one thing I can like about Jim Boyle, and it's that he told Doug Collins to beat it basically when he was in co- coaching meetings. That's the exact thing you don't want to hear if you're trying to bring in a new coach that you've got guys that are having to sit in on your meetings that are coming to your practices consistently, just finally, just constantly feeling like you're being micromanaged or watched. It's the things that a lot of the players hated too, when that was going on with Randy Brown, it's the same type of thing. Now it's being extended out to the coach. So I can, can see how Jim Boylan would be frustrated by that. But then to turn around and just kind of say that him and Doug's relationship is is completely fine is bizarre. Here's the audio from Jim Boylan uh, from Friday before their game. You said you had a falling out with Doug Collins. How would you characterize your relationship with him? Uh, really good. Yeah, I don't, not sure exactly um, how that report came to be. Um, but those things happen, I guess. Uh, you know, uh, Doug doesn't—he uh, doesn't work for me. He, he was hired by the ownership and management, so uh, all my interaction with Doug has been uh, very positive. Uh, he's been in my meetings. He's been on the floor with the team, um, but I don't control his schedule or if he's here or if he's not here. Um, that's not what I do. So, um, but. Uh, We've had a very good and a very close relationship since I've been here and since he's been here. Was there a disagreement about a coach's meeting and his role in it? Not that I know of. Yeah, not that I know of. The thing that you don't hear in that audio too, Matt, is there was a follow-up question too before the scrum was over and asking when the last time him and Doug Collins had talked and Jim Boylan said it's been a while. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you just per- you contradict your entire one-minute answer there, Boylan, by answering the question with, yeah, you know, our relationship is great, but it's been a while since we've talked. Like, come on, dude. It made me think of uh, a quote we got from Zach, and I can't remember from what source, but leading up to All-Star Weekend in the three-point contest when, you know, Jim had some laughable quote about how he's helping, you know, Zach prepare for the for the contest. And, you know, he was with San Antonio when Marco Bellinelli won it, and he helped Marco with some, you know, some tips and some pointers. And so somebody asked Zach Levine if, if Jim Boylan had been, you know, helping him out getting ready for the three-point contest. And Zach was like, ah, man, me and Coach haven't caught up in a while. <laughs> it's like, it's the same thing here with Doug Collins. It's like, look, Maybe Jim, well, first of all, like denying that the incident happened where, you know, there was, you know, he he kicked Doug out of a coach's meeting or whatever or didn't want Doug to practice. The fact that Jim denied that is clearly a lie um, because in Casey Johnson's follow-up piece after Jim denied all this stuff, Casey said the incident occurred when Collins offered strong opinions at an organizational meeting in a manner that rankled some people. Some people, parentheses, Jim Boylan. So Doug Collins was probably calling out a lot of ugly truths about Jim Boylan's shortcomings and failings this season, and Jim took it personally. And now, hey, there's your falling out. Like it's 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 not that hard to read the tea leaves here. I'm not. But Jim I'm not. Is so proud. I'm not. He he refuses to admit that this happened. It's so it's so bizarre in the what fifty storylines this team has spewed out for us since the start of the rebuild. Like this is the whole Doug Collins thing is just bizarre in its own nature. The fact that 
he has such a critical role with this team, it seems like now, or at least a strong enough voice to impact opinion on people. And yet we've heard absolutely nothing like fans don't get to hear anything from him. Don't get to hear his side of the story. What's going on with him? I don't think he's done anything publicly since he's become part of the Bulls organization, right? We haven't heard him go on any interview, talk to any single person, right? I can't think of anything. I can't think of a story that somebody's written, even just kind of the way Paxson does things now. It's, oh, I'll meet with the media once publicly, but otherwise I will give stories out and talk to people behind the channels and they can write a story. We haven't even heard that from Collins either. So I think... And I mean, like, we haven't heard from him. Like, he hasn't addressed the media himself, really, maybe once since coming on board. But we do hear certain things about Collins's opinions. And, you know, the, the fact that he's a sounding board for, for, for Paxson and the rest of this organization. Like, you know, the recent stuff from, from Cowley that came out this season and, and, uh, and about Gar actually maybe finally being on the hot seat of losing his GM title in that Doug Collins was not was less than impressed with the Fred Hoiberg hire and that clearly that was Gar's guy and Collins was uh not impressed with Gar's ability to pick a proper head coach because of the Fred Hoiberg hire and and now Collins also appears to have some problems with his successor Jim Boylan so but I mean I I think you're right in that a lot of Bulls fans still aren't entirely sure what exactly Doug does um, and how he interacts with everybody in this organization. Um, other than hearing a couple of various opinions of Doug thought this was done well or Doug thought this was done poorly, that like we don't know that much. It's crazy. I mean, you got people making decisions in this organization that are going to make a critical impact on the future of this team and what it does or what it doesn't do. We don't hear any explanation or any we don't hear anything. We don't hear any justification for any of the moves or any things that goes on. Everything's hidden, and it's it, it's the way it's always been, I guess. If you're new to this organization, welcome. You won't hear much unless it's from reporters or for, from fans. Everything's from the back channel. If you've been here a long time, everybody gets it. So I just this is another storyline that is just bizarre and will not go away either unless Boylan is canned. This storyline is going to stay here. Unless Doug Collins says, you know what, forget it. I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, but I don't see that happening either. Him and Jerry Reinstorf are very, very good friends. So, uh, And Doug Collins's son coaches 20 miles north. So it's just, it's, it's so bizarre. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about real, real fast, Matt, uh, we had mentioned it at the the beginning of the episode, but Kenny Atkins had fired uh, from the Mets or quote-unquote mutually parted ways. Everybody automatically is pointing to the Bulls as that spot. Like, I'm sorry, but a guy like that I don't think is coming here. I think he'd be perfect for this team. Talk about a guy that, that turned around the entire culture of the Nets in terms of the way guys were buying in, especially young players. Like, he couldn't be a more perfect fit for what the Bulls are trying to do. How about all the culture talk we talked about last year? And how many times the front office told us it's about building culture? And the one thing that everybody across the board has said about Kenny Atkinson is that he knows how to build culture and guys buy in. And that's why the Nets, in most part, are who they are right now. Sean Marks has a lot to do with that, too, and with a lot of those guys getting cleared out. But... You've got the guy in Chris Fleming here that was a part of Kenny Atkinson's coaching staff. So you do do decide to make a change from Jim Boylan. 
it would be my first and only call and I will say I'll pay you anything that you need to come here you've got full reign you can have the head coaching job now do I think that's realistic probably not he's gonna have his pick of the litter this summer wherever he wants to go he's gonna be the number one choice on the list of every team looking for a head coach and New York unfortunately seems like the the likely spot because he grew up there was a Knicks fan grew up in Rhode Island so I don't know. Uh, He would be my favorite, though, and I think he would be really good for this team. Now, does he want to deal with the Bulls bullshit? Probably not. I don't. I mean, I I see the appeal that some Bulls fans are are raving about on Twitter right now. Oh, my God, you got to go hire Kenny Atkinson right now. You know, get him in the building yesterday for an interview. Yes, he did some very solid things with the Brooklyn Nets, but the more I've read about what exactly the reason was for his departure from Brooklyn and the fact that it was it, it was partly him not loving the idea of coaching Durant and Kyrie and that duo of superstars, you know, next season once Durant's back and, you know, once, you know, Kyrie is supposedly healthy as well. Um, but that those two superstar players didn't really find any kind of bond um, with, with that coach raises a little bit of a red flag to me. Um, Yes. Kyrie Irving is difficult and he has had a lot of issues with players and coaches over the course of his NBA career. Um, He's just, he's just a difficult guy. He just has that label because of his various stops, you know, Cleveland, Boston, now Brooklyn, um, KD less so, but KD is still very much seen as like a prima donna in this league, you know, with the burner accounts and some of the quotes and, you know, this and that, like those are two prima donna stars in a big market. And maybe there was some mutual feeling of, uh, ah, we don't know if we love this coach and the coach being like, Oh God, I don't know if I want to deal with this. So given the fact that the bulls have issues they have, you know, public perception issues. They have difficulty luring big name free agents. Haven't been able to do that in basically the entire John Paxson regime. We'll see if a new voice in the front office changes that at all. But players want to play for a coach that they like and respect. And I'm 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 sure that there are some people on that Brooklyn Nets team, young players who have really made a name for themselves in the NBA who love Kenny Atkinson and love what he did for them and how he coached that team. But the NBA and winning in the NBA is about superstars. The Bulls don't have any right now. Nowhere close. But a year from now, when you're about to get a big free agent summer of lots of star talent on the market in 2021, and the Bulls have a lot of money coming off the books, I want not only a front office that players can trust and agents can trust, but I want a coach that people want to play for. I want a coach that superstars want to play for. And I'm not sure that Kenny Atkinson is that guy. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'm sure we'll get, we'll get plenty of plenty more stories about what exactly went down. And to your point about Kyrie, man, like think about it from the perspective too on the opposite end, like Brad Stevens is probably one of the most respected coaches in basketball now too. And, he had a tough time getting along with him and all of the look at what happened to Boston in a year turnaround from Kyrie leaving there so I'm wondering if that's more the issue than maybe Kenny Atkinson and he realizes that or just having the year to spend with Kyrie and trying to develop a relationship and the other thing too I was thinking just because you had brought up KD too I would think that 
if one of the if it was more so one of the guys wanted him out than the other, both of these guys have to be on the same page, right? At, at least to some to some point, to some extent, even if maybe KD didn't want him to leave or didn't really care one way or the other, as opposed to Kyrie wanting him out or vice versa. At some point, these both guys have to be on the same page, especially both coming back fully healthy next year. I just find it very bizarre for a guy that, you know, took the Nets to the playoffs last year. They were the seventh seed overall this year with the amount of injuries that they've had. All of that, it just, I don't know. It, there, is there something more to this? It, what, what more are we missing here as far as them firing this coach? I just don't really understand. I also, too, read he's kind of a Tom Thibodeau worker in the way that, like, basketball is 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 his entire life he spends 24 hours a day seven days a week always thinking about basketball would stay at the Nets facility till 4 or 5 a.m just basically didn't take any time off from basketball and just that's the way he worked so I don't know maybe that could be part of it too but it's it, it's tough again circling back to our overall Bulls point though Matt I don't I really don't see Jim Boylan getting ta- getting canned after, especially after the latest endorsement from John Paxson just a couple of days ago on Boylan and what he's been doing. So it's oh he's getting oh he's getting canned. You think I, so? I, I now I now believe that. Um, I I don't I don't think that John Paxson once again doubling down with his support of Jim Boylan means absolute I like anything. I think it means dick. Um. It's just John Paxson continuing to support his guy who he chose to give an extension to with no coaching hire, who he chose to replace Fred Hoiberg with no coaching search. And the fact that he is failing so miserably and has made the Bulls even more of a national laughingstock than they were before the Jim Boylan hire, that's on John. He's running this team. It is on him that that ridiculous decision was made. It's not on Michael. Michael doesn't know shit about basketball. He's just a nepotism next in line owner slash chairman. What this is about is, well, hang in there, guys. We're going to bring in a new empowered voice to our our organizational structure and our front office to, to help us turn things around. And John Paxson is going to use that new hire and wanting to show support for that new hire in the front office as an excuse for letting that person fire Jim Boylan for him because John Paxson is too much of a coward to admit that he fucked up and fired Jim Boylan himself. That's what's about to happen here. I think it's all going to depend on the GM that they bring in. If they do make that move, I see what GM worth a damn wants to keep Jim Boylan. I agree with you. No, no, I totally agree with you. And I think that's going to hinder a lot of who they're able to bring in and who's actually going to want to come and take this job. If they don't give the GM, whoever they bring in, full reins to say, I'm going to can everybody if I want to. If they don't give, who the hell is going to want to be the GM of this team if they're going to have to just play puppet to a puppeteer up at the top? Right, exactly. (laughs) Probably not Buchanan either. Like Nobody worth a damn. See, Matt, I've been fooled once and I won't be fooled again. I've been fooled by this multiple times. The idea that that Jim Boylan would just be canned at the end of the year after all of the support he's gotten for two years, including the contract extension, everything. Think about everything since the time he's hired, how much support he's gotten. I don't even care if him and John Paxson don't have a great relationship at this point. I still think Michael Reinsdorf loves him and, and 
would want to keep Boylan around should it not be a Sam Presti that comes in as the new GM. Maybe trying to convince I mean, that other GM to keep Boylan around for one more year to see what happens. You're you're right about one thing. I also believe that Michael Reinsdorf loves Jim Boylan, but that's the problem and that's the key to the future of this situation. Does Michael Reinsdorf admit to himself and to everyone else that he knows dick about actually winning basketball and how to make a winning basketball program and find someone whose name is not John Paxson to help him do that? Because the Reinsdorfs are hands-off owners, always have been, always will be. But they put their trust and their loyalty behind the wrong people who clearly are not getting it done. So just because he hit it off with Jim and thinks that Jim was the right guy to, to you know, whip this young team into shape. Okay, well, clearly, Michael Reinsdorf, are you watching games this season? Did you watch what happened last season? Jim's not the right answer. So get yourself some interviews lined up and... Most importantly, listen to the advice of other people in this league who actually do know something about the game of basketball and go from there. Look at Jerry because, West. Oh, I you know, I, I I like I like I like the the demeanor of this gym guy. He he strikes me as a you know a, a straight shooter, an old timer that I can really relate to. Okay. You know, we got bulls cool. across our chest. What yeah, bulls across the chest. What's your fucking record? The honors. Michael, Michael Reinsdorf is the key to all of this. And the key needs to be, and it's something that Joe Cowley told me when we were chatting on this podcast last week, Michael Reinsdorf cannot let John Paxson into those interviews for a new front office person. He cannot. I think people understand what we're trying to build. I think people can see that too. It's crazy, man. I, I'm, it's going to be, we talked about interesting off season, a pivotal off season last summer. Oh man. Talk about decision-making to the point where this is going to decide the future of this team for the next five years. I'm thinking of it all-encompassing, too, about how it's going to impact the players that you had signed, the young guys that you already have brought in, some of the vets, too, that are around. Like, this whole team, this offseason, is going to, I think, predicate how this Bulls team is going to be for the first half of this decade. That's a lot of that's a lot of pressure for this team, too, and that's a lot of pressure for a front office who has not delivered at all over the last five, six years, an ownership who hasn't delivered at all either. So I, I just I can't fool myself into believing that Jim Boylan, I 100% believe for, with a fact that Jim Boylan will be out at the end of the year. I would hope so in terms of the relationships for the players, for the sake of Lowry Markkinen's frustration, for the sake of Zach Levine's frustration, for the sake of Kobe White's frustration. How about that too? A little hit around from Kali saying that Kobe White was clearly frustrated at the beginning of the year. But the kid is such a nice, he's such a genuine kid that he would not, he wouldn't say anything. He's just going to, he's going to do what he has to do to build himself. So I, I don't know, man, this is going to be very bizarre and, I honestly, I just can't wait to get through these games so we can start talking about this and get the news on all of that. And the sooner that happens, the sooner we'll figure out if this Bulls team is back to a is is back to ground zero. We can start building a path that is right, or if we're just going to circle and continue to do the exact same thing. Everybody, cross your fingers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's going to about do it here on Locked On Bulls. Thanks again for listening. 
Hit us up on our text and voicemail line at 331-979-1369. Drop us all your texts, all of your voicemails, anything you got for us. We will get to those later in the week. So if you've got something to say, you want us to hit on something, 331-979-1369, the place to do that. Thanks to our sponsor and Indeed for sponsoring the show today. I wanted to mention really quick, too, if you like what Matt and I are doing here, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps us. That helps you. So thank you again for listening. If you do love the show, hit us. Hit our affiliates our sister podcasts here in chicago the locked on white Sox podcast with herb lawrence and chris Tannehill, or the locked on cubs with sean sears baseball season is just around the corner you want to have coverage on your team all five days make sure to hit up those podcasts give them a five-star review review as well those podcasts are going to be amazing and an essential part of your baseball season Bulls Nation, I don't know what to say after those couple of games, but we got to prepare ourselves for a really, really difficult schedule coming here towards the end of March. But the good thing is we can distract ourselves with college basketball. But I think that's going to about do it. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful day. We'll be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. We've added Jaron Grant, who we talked about. Paul Zipster, who we're high on. It's Jordan Malley. Jordan, great to see you. Through our 670 score. Scope, yep, where is he? And Jeff Banger, he's right over there, Bill. And uh, Rich Wyatt is spinning the dials here at the United Center. In- Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to Locked on Bulls.com 